Hello, college football fans, and welcome to College Football Throwdown, episode 40. I am your host, Alex Schmitz, and joining me today is Peter Schmitz. Hello, fans. How are you? Yep. Your favorite father-son duo college football podcast is back. (laughs) That's right. And the 40th episode, that's pretty impressive. I didn't realize that, I guess. I should have, but I didn't. Yeah. No, we've been... We've done a good number of these, you know, some some good ones, some not so good ones. You know, we're going to try to keep on our uh, monthly schedule, I think, here in the off season. That's our current plan. That's right. Mm-hmm. But there's been a good bit since we last talked. We talked in uh, like mid-January, mostly talking about the uh, the national championship game. And so we've had uh, recruiting day has come and gone since we were uh, last at our podcast. So I think it'd be best to start off with that, don't you think? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so uh, you know the the interesting thing about you know signing day every year is is that there's always a few surprises. Although I think there were probably fewer of those this year than there have been in some more recent years. And I'm speaking nationally, not necessarily for Nebraska, but but nationally, um, you know, the there were an awful lot of players who had already you know identified where they were going. Uh, but as has become almost a tradition, uh, you know, the, 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 the rich have gotten much richer and, you know, the, the, the crazy amount of talent that is, you know, gathered up by the uh, Alabama and Ohio State, you know, now on an annual basis is almost frightening. <laughs> yeah. One thing that surprised me when I was looking at those rankings was that, um, it was Maryland was above us, like in the yes. in the mid to high teens. Um, yes. That kind of surprised me. Yeah. It, it, well, it, it um, there's a couple of things that I think you can attribute that to. One is is that they had uh, we only signed 20 players. They signed 28 players. <laughs> so they had a few more eligible uh, uh, scholarships that were eligible to be you know used in this particular. Uh, recruiting cycle and they had some from the previous year part of that happens whenever you have a transition of coaches and in in the case of maryland they have a new coach who had brought some new energy and enthusiasm to the program he you know may you may recall as a was an assistant at university of michigan and um and now as a head coach for the first time and is a pretty dynamic guy and um and then additionally uh, maryland has in the vicinity of maryland virginia that area has some incredible talent year in and year out. Some of the top players in the country are from that area, uh, way more talent rich than most. So the fact is, is that Maryland was probably doing a better job of keeping their guys, you know, at home, uh, than they have in the past. And you got to give credit to his name is Ash. the new coach there. He did a good job, a very good job. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I was reading up, uh, cause I wasn't, you know, following like the recruiting day for the Nebraska side super closely, as I'm sure you right. were. Um, but just reading up on it now after the fact, um, sounds like it was an interesting day. We went uh, hard on California and we got, I think uh, the stat was that we that we had like eight that we were looking at out there and we ended up getting four. So some misses, right. some hits. Exactly. That that's the deal. Is that uh, there were we were in on a lot of very talented players. Many of them in the same positions. Many of them either defensive backs or wide receivers. And we had hoped to to really stock up on wide receivers because we had a lot of 
wide receivers leaving this year, uh, graduating. Uh, but we ended up with a pretty darn good group that I think the coaches and the, the fans are going to be happy with. Um, and, um, but, but we probably fell short as far as numbers and we ended up only signing 20 players. We could have signed two or three more, at least two or three more, maybe even a couple more than that. Uh, if we were willing to do a little bit more of the oversigning, which is a, a subject we will definitely have to, uh, bring up on a future podcast is this the whole issue of how you manage your roster and how what methods can be used to to keep your roster at or very near the 85 scholarship limit going into a football season and how we uh, are choosing to hinder ourselves to really handicap ourselves uh, because of the choices we're making uh, at times like uh, this past February signing day right well we've definitely talked about the over signing before you know especially with the way Alabama does that and then you know kind of yeah. uh, uh, what do you want to say weeds out the week so to speak right after right. the fact um but couldn't you argue that uh riley is kind of saving his scholarships so like he's like well i could get two or three more now but i'd rather you know there aren't those, any guys out there that we could get with those that i like really really want really really so right. i'm gonna save them and hope that i can get those guys next year you're exactly right, Alex. That's exactly what he's doing. And and it's going to be a small recruiting class for us again next year because of how the, 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 the number of seniors we have going into this season is a relatively small number. So that's why, you know, leaving a few of those unused is not a terrible idea. It's actually going to help balance out the quantity in the classes a little bit more. So I'm thinking that's why he, he wasn't all heck bent on, on filling it up, you know. Um, so you are exactly right. Now the challenge though, with that is you have attrition every year, there's always attrition. Mm -hmm. And, and now with the way that, again, with the way that rosters are managed, uh, a little differently than it used to be. And people are, are, are escorted out the door a little bit more aggressively, uh, then, uh, you know, we, as, as a, as a football team need to raise our hands and, and, and choose to start doing that, or we're going to fall behind in the in the so-called arms race uh, of, of, of talent accumulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but we did, we did okay. I mean, we ended up with, we ended up with seven uh, four-star players, which is a pretty good, you know, quantity out of 20 players. And, and I think a lot of the even supposedly lesser talented players are pretty darn good players, you know, um, guys that probably are a little under ranked simply because of the position they, they play or, you know, uh, maybe they, they were from an area that doesn't quite get the recognition that, you know, um, some of the, the larger metro- metropolitan areas might get in terms of visibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was looking at um, some of like our top tier guys and uh, right. it looked like we got a pretty prominent quarterback recruit, a, good, a really good running back, uh, maybe a defensive tackle, right. I believe as well. That was highly regarded. Yep, we did. And we got, um, we got a, a couple of top wide receivers, um, uh, a really good linebacker, um, so um, and um, and then a good defensive back, but probably three uh, wide receivers who are all four-star type talents. One of them, Tajon uh, Tajon Lindsay, who is uh, um, you know uh, regarded as a top 100 player in the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, I was looking at a little map of where they all came from, and I believe one was from Michigan, right? 
That is correct. One player is, that we got is from Michigan, um, and uh, his name is a- Andrew Ward. He's a linebacker at a Muskegon, which ah. is not far from us here in Traverse City. No, it isn't. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, the at when I was looking at like where we were placing on these recruiting rankings, you know, that they have on these websites, we're usually anywhere from the high teens to the or yeah, high teens to the low twenties. So we averaged out at like that twenty one, twenty three ish, I believe. Right, that is correct, and that's that's been that's just slightly better than what we've been doing over recent years. And uh, I'm I'm of the opinion that. We're really not accumulating talent at the level that it is required uh, if you want to win championships, and I mean like Big Ten championships. If For us to really get into the mix of winning Big Ten championships, we need to be in the top, uh, top 15. Uh, if we start consistently getting into you know, the top 15 and only occasionally dropping into the top 20, 25, uh, then that would be in my the kind of performance we need we're never going to be consistently top five top 10 but if we could be top 15 with some regularity uh and only occasionally dropping be uh you know back uh then that's the kind of talent that would get us where i think we want to be uh, but relative to the big 10 you know there were three teams that did really really well ohio state michigan being way off the charts you know top five pretty much consensus and then uh, Penn State was either right near the top 10 or or in the top 10 on most uh, rankings and then as you pointed out the Maryland team's uh, uh, recruiting hall was really outstanding and was a you know due to a combination of things but but they did an outstanding job and they were there and then it was generally us which is great because that means we were the best recruiting class within the big 10 uh, West Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and so at least relative to those that we're going to be competing with most consistently, um, you know, for our uh, our side of the conference, um, it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, a good thing. Yep. No, I, I did see that. And so that that is, you know, promising that like, you know, Wisconsin didn't like pull away from us with like some crazy good recruiting year or something like that. Right. Right. Exactly. But we have historically out-recruited Wisconsin only to get our butts kicked by them. So that just tells you a little bit about the, well, what continuity and coaching and coaching philosophy will do. And, you know, Barry Alvarez has done a good job, even though he's had some coaching turnover and had to replace head coaches. There has been a philosophy in place there and it, and it has remained, uh, you know, because uh, it, it originated with him and it, and it was kind of handed down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's impressive, really. Yeah. All right. And transitioning, this kind of ties in with the recruiting thing, but um, I've seen some interviews and like articles about uh, Mike Riley where he's kind of like talked about how, you know, he doesn't necessarily love like the nice guy label, you know, that he gets from, uh, you know, so many of his peers and from the media and stuff like that. And that like he's a super competitive guy, just like every other head coach. And, uh, it seems like this year, maybe because he's, you know, feeling a bit of the pressure and that he's in his third year, you know, here at Nebraska, uh, that he's, you know, firing some of these coaches that have been with him for a long time and trying to achieve that uh, level of championship excellence. Right. Uh, well, that's the thing, as I think that he had, he has uh, been very uh, willing to, uh, you know, evaluate his his uh, coaches 
And if he didn't think that they were doing a good enough job in all aspects, recruiting as well as coaching, as well as teaching, you know, the actual on the field teaching of the players. Um, And so if that wasn't satisfactory, he's been willing to let some guys go that he had been with for a long time. And and, um, I think uh, that is something that, of course, Nebraska fans are are pleased with because that's what they expect. If there is a coach that isn't performing, we we can't we don't have uh, the time to wait around for them to get around to it, you know, to to get adjusted or get comfortable. These are all coaches that are experienced. He's got a very experienced staff, but uh, what he did in the offseason by firing two of his longtime friends and and associates uh, was a little uncharacteristic of his history, but exactly what needed to happen if we were going to you know take steps to move in. Uh, in the right direction now will these new coaches be better you know only time will tell but what we had was unsatisfactory in his mind and so he felt he needed to make a change in direction and that's that's something uh, that um, people were critical that he was a little too loyal right Mm -hmm. so so uh, this is a a very clear demonstration he's he's taken steps to do everything he can to put us in a position to be you know, uh, com- com- competing for championships. Yep. No, I, I like saying that for sure from him. Um, you know, because on the one hand, I mean, it's great that he's, you know, that has this reputation, this nice guy, you know, he's not like a cutthroat coach, you know, like we see with some of the other others in this, uh, in the industry, so to speak. Um, right. But at the same time, obviously, you know, we, at, at the end of the day, the, the performance on the field is what really counts. Um, and I definitely think he was, you know, dissatisfied with his team's performance in the second half of the season last year. And he seems, you know, committed to, you know, changing up the defense. You know, we're definitely going to be changing up the offense now that we'll have a new quarterback in the position. So I think this is going to be a very interesting year to watch um, how he handles this important uh, third year. I agree. And, and and you know what? I mean, and uh, the, there's a great deal of pressure, I believe, on the new defensive coordinator uh, because of that. Because he, we can't afford to have a down year this next year because we have a, a, a fairly difficult schedule. Uh, we have a lot of the tougher games at home, but, but we have a difficult schedule. And um, uh, almost some, some games that you would look at and say that that's likely a loss, you know, that type of thing. But but at the same time, um, we have an opportunity for the first time in literally eight years to have a quarterback that fits the system that we're trying to run uh, and doesn't have a, you know, a fatal flaw, so to speak, uh, at least as far as um, uh, we know, right? So, so the bottom line is there's a, there seems to be a better fit between what we're trying to accomplish offensively and, and the skill sets of the kinds of kids we've recruited here in recent years. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how quickly that can all be brought together combined with a new defensive scheme that's obviously going to put these kids back into learning mode a great deal more than they would have if they had stayed with the existing defensive coordinator. So it's a big risk, but he needed to do something to get us going in the right direction defensively. And I think he he's confident we got the right group together coaching-wise to get it done offensively. Now it's just a matter of executing we got to get these guys on the same page and and make it happen yeah well and i was also reading about our new uh safeties coach guy named bob elliott um interestingly um 
he's an older gentleman, 63 years old, been coaching for many years, uh, and it was apparently, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the uh, university, but he was like a coach at the university when uh, Bob Diaco, or is it is it Bob Diaco? It was Notre Dame. Was yep, it? Oh, Bob okay. Diaco, and and it yes. was at Notre Dame. They both okay. coached with uh, uh, alongside each other at Notre Dame. Well, and he was Bob's hire, so to speak. He was a guy that that was definitely on Bob's radar. Um, uh, uh, our new defensive coordinator. Right. Well, I, I did read that as well, and that you know Bob he's the main reason uh, he's here at Nebraska is because of Bob, but it was also mentioning that he was a coach at the university when Bob was a player. And Right, that's correct, and that was at Iowa. Iowa, that was it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's yep, saying. that was at Iowa. So they have a, they have a long history, um, and um, um, the, the new defense uh, safeties coach is a guy that, um, you know, has a pretty decent history of, uh, of being a good coach and teacher. He's had some medical issues that kind of put him uh, behind the eight ball, and he needed to, you know, devote some attention to that. I think he's a uh, cancer survivor, and uh, and so now he's healthy enough to uh, to uh, uh, again coach. You know, he had been in a role of kind of a, a support role uh, at Notre Dame, where he was assisting the head coach um, with some, I think, mostly uh, you know off the field issues or you know duties. Um, and that would probably bought him the time he needed to to get healthy uh, and uh, overcome. Obviously, was a challenging um, medical, you know, issue. Right. All right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the fact that he's you know so up there in age probably isn't the best indicator from a recruiting perspective. But the fact that he clearly has this close working relationship with Bob already, or uh, you know, our defensive coordinator. Uh, that will hopefully lead to some more cohesion and a faster kind of adoption right. of that system. Exactly. I, I think I think he's hired primarily to be the teacher and to be able to get this system uh, taught and in place uh, as fast as possible. And uh, and we have some other outstanding recruiters on that defensive side of the ball that are dynamic. And so uh, I probably the, uh, the the hope is is that you know, that they're going to collectively have the right match of teaching skill as well as recruiting skill to be able to get it done. Um, Because, you know, everybody has varying degrees of strength in their ability to recruit versus their ability to teach, you know, the scheme. Uh, And then what, what are you like on game day? How, how do you, how do you do in terms of preparation and then execution of a game plan that that's the other, the kind of the third leg, if you will, of what, what makes a great coach. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, we'll see. We'll see how all this, you know, j- uh, gels together for Nebraska in a very, very important and uh, and interesting uh, year that's coming up here in 2017. Mm-hmm. And then here's a transition into a more national topic. Um, I was reading about uh, Nebraska satellite camp plans for this year. I think we have something in it was either June or July, kind of like a two-day mm-hmm. uh, event. Two two-date events, I believe, was how right. I read it. Um, right. And this is tying into what apparently the NCAA is currently uh, considering and will probably vote on about these changes to the rules involving satellite camps, uh, saying that they can only happen for 10 non-consecutive days and only at NCAA institutions rather than at high schools. 
Correct, correct. They they basically put the clamps down on when and how you could have them. They didn't uh, they didn't eliminate them uh, completely. So it's kind of interesting, you know. That the, the, the NCA has gone all over the map on this, from total wide open uh, to uh, to nope, they're all illegal. To back to well, no, that's not the right thing to do. To 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 coming up with what they believe is some compromise that uh, uh, gives the coaching profession some limits because the problem is is the wide open thing it becomes the wild wild west and 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 coaches will do whatever they think is in their best interest to maximize their advantage right Mm -hmm. and if it means that they have to work every day uh for 20 hours a day they do it right so you almost have to save them from themselves right because uh they're they're all they're so intensely competitive that they they convince themselves that if I'm not doing it, somebody else is, and therefore I must do it. And and it just kind of gets crazy. So by putting these rules in place, and it gives uh, individual institutions a little bit of flexibility to, to frame and organize their own plan, but then it limits them so that they can only do so many. And that then and then they got rid of the whole high school thing so that so that because it was becoming more of a recruiting tool than this, you know, uh, than the. Uh, presented concept that this is so that kids can get an opportunity to learn from these great coaches from these college level coaches Um, you want to give young people the opportunity to get that kind of training right that's a good thing but but you also wanted to limit it so that they didn't drive themselves into the ground now these coaches will have a little bit more of their summer back because they can only do this for 10 days right Mm. right so so that's the key. And then, so Nebraska's put together what they think is a good plan that will both maximize within those 10 days and yet um, uh, you know, do the things that they've been successful with. Because, again, one of the things that Nebraska needs is it needs players to, to um, come to Lincoln. They need to see our campus. They need to see our facilities, see how uh, tight-knit it all is and how in close proximity to it to each other they all are so that they can say wow i could see myself playing here this would be an, uh, a lifestyle and a schedule that works for me you know what i mean that's one of our strengths as a, as a university and yet so often kids don't get to do that well the bigger change is not about this uh all uh the um, um what do i want to say the um um Help me out. The the uh, satellite camps. Right. It, that that is a a big deal. But uh, an even bigger deal is the fact that the, there there's a rule change that's going to be put in place that allows kids to t- travel on official visits in the summer months prior to the school year starting. Mm. Uh, it used to be that you could only do this official visits after the school year started. Now they're moving that forward so that official visits can happen earlier. And I, I don't know, I don't have all the specifics because I don't think it's in, it's not law yet, right? It's not, it hasn't been passed, but when it is, it's going to be a, a, a big, big thing for Nebraska because it'll allow us to pay for a recruit and their parents to officially visit Nebraska. Cause our problem is we don't have, we're not, close to any athletes right mm-hmm. we have very few athletes that are in close proximity so those kids were all having to travel on their own dime to come see us right and many of them committing before we ever even got to the beginning of the school year when the kids could officially visit so we didn't even get a chance at those kids they didn't even get a chance to see our facility 
now we'll be able to, if they have a, a mutual interest with us, we'll be able to go and get them officially to our to our school uh, in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. kind of make sense? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's something, I know, we, once again, we've talked about that in the past in the podcast, how mm-hmm. that would be something that would definitely be a plus for Nebraska. Right. So it's going right. to hear that that's might be going well, through. That, it, may, it may go through, yeah, and that that's going to be the bigger thing for us. I believe. All right. So um, there you go. Were there any other uh, national stories that you want to talk about, either recruiting wise or just uh, larger in terms of uh, off season stuff? Right. Well, so here, there's one that I uh, has kind of uh, poked a poked the bear. I, I, <laughs> I officially poked. Um, uh, Paul Feinbaum is a national. Uh, uh, talk show host uh, who is a, a strong SEC homer in general and specifically uh, a strong Alabama uh, homer, frankly. Uh, but he has the the bully pulpit of a national uh, you know microphone that has been given to him by ESPN, which is a, a whole nother conversation. But but uh, he really got under my skin recently. And I wanted to voice this uh, uh, on this whole issue of he spent a, a monologue, you know, at the beginning of his program, just riding and railing on uh, Jim Harbaugh for uh, for Jim's active pursuit of a uh, uh, a an assistant coach hire that was clearly uh, at least partially motivated by the fact that that coach's son is also one of the top quarterback recruits in the country for this coming season, uh, and so. Um, obviously if you recruit dad and you get him to work for you, the chances of you, uh, successfully recruiting his son probably go up a little bit. At least that's the logic. Right. And so, um, Paul Feinbaum uh, went off and, and, and talked about how, uh, that was uh, such an abuse of the, of the rules and that it wasn't, you know, he was, um, um, he was following the rules, but not the intent of the rules and how that is just blatant cheating. And that was a horrible thing and blah, 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 blah. And he went on and on about that. OK, and that is the pot calling the kettle black because the the SEC in general and specifically his beloved Alabama are the ultimate abusers of of following the letters of the law and not the intent of the law, which is why we find ourselves in this awful roster management situation that we now are having to deal with where we are moving even more aggressively and quick, more quickly away from the tradition of the student athlete and the fact that, that kids no longer can even uh, feel confident in uh, being able to complete their degree at the institution that they commit to um, when they start their football careers in college. Because now if you don't improve enough, if you're not good enough, by about the second year in a program, then in programs at Alabama, they find a way to process you out, and they use all means to do so. They 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 abuse all the various types of uh, of, of programs like red shirts, gray shirts, blue shirts, medical uh, 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 medical deferments, basically that that allow you to assign somebody as having a, uh, a medical injury that makes them incapable of playing at the same level as they did before so that you can keep them on scholarship but the scholarship no longer counts towards the 85 athletic scholarships okay and and he totally 
bastardized that system, totally screwed that system up by abusing the heck out of it. Um, there used to be a bridge program system where it allowed kids to come in and they could get certain uh, monies and support uh, in the summer before their season, their their freshman year started. So you could bring kids in, uh, and Nebraska was uh, it was a it was a cornerstone of what we did because of uh, uh, the long-standing tradition of our walk-on program. Well, Alabama started doing that, and they would just bring in all kinds of kids, and then they would. Uh, uh, evaluate them over the summer, and then they would cut them before the season started, except for the ones that they thought might might help them. So because they were doing this to all these kids, and these kids were you know going with the idea, and they were already starting their educations, they were going to classes at the at the university. So now their clock has officially started, but then they were shoved to the sidelines and and said thanks but no thanks at, at the end of the summer. Uh, and so there are just all of these things. Uh, following the letters of the law, uh, the rules were in place. He wasn't breaking an NCAA rule, but he was totally abusing its purpose and intent. And he does that every damn time he can, any way he can. And as a result, many of the other SEC coaching staffs had to follow suit. It was either compete, stay up with him, or be left behind. And so that is now permeating college football, not just the SEC although there's still some advantages because of um, uh, every conference has its own rules. So it, was, it just described me, it just drove me nuts that Paul Feinbaum would uh, have the gall to call out Jim Harbaugh, even though he's right. Jim Harbaugh was skirting the edge of a rule to try to maximize his chance uh, at a, a great scholarship athlete, right? He was doing that. That's not new, though. Uh, Alex, people have been doing that for years and years and years where they hire staff with the hope that their, their talented child might join the team. That, that is an, uh, and, and frankly, that's a huge commitment on the part of a university to do that, obviously, because you're giving this guy a job, right? right? You're paying him a lot of money. So, uh, um, and um, so that, that's not a new thing. Um, but this other stuff is way newer than that. I mean, you can go back 40, 50 years, and coaches were hiring, hiring uh, the dads of, of great recruits. That's been going on for decades upon decades upon decades. This whole roster management thing that has been invented by, by you know, uh, Nick Saban and, and mastered by Nick Saban. It wasn't invented necessarily by him, but, but certainly he was the one who mastered it. Um, has only been going on for the last, say, 15, maybe 20 years, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, since about the turn of the, uh, of the century. Right. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about it, is that, you know, uh, if this guy is really, like, that unqualified, you know, to be, like, a, a coach at the University right. of Michigan, you know, right. it, it would seem like a big commitment on the part of the university to give up, you know, one of your coaching positions and spend right. hundreds of thousands of dollars on this guy's and that, salary. And that's not Just, the case. This is... This is a guy who was a defensive coordinator in the NFL. This is a guy in his past. Right. He was a, he, he he in his most recent past he's been a high school coach. I think so he had the opportunity to coach his son. But he's been an NFL assistant and NFL coordinator, okay? This guy is a, a, a talented coach, obviously. And here's the irony of it. He ended up not ending up at at Michigan. This guy ended up uh, uh, about facing 
and ended up at, at the University of Oregon. And he's on the University of Oregon staff instead. Now, so he ended up not even being at Michigan. So after, after browbeating you know, Jim Harbaugh and, and Michigan for you know, a, a whole day's show, uh, uh, ironically, uh, the, the, the guy in question ended up uh, taking a job with Oregon instead. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, do you think that the, was there the public outcry, quote unquote, uh, due to Feinbaum's thing had anything to do with it? Or was you know, it I, probably just I, money? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I don't know. Uh, no, I, I actually think because the guy's from the West Coast, I think the fact that he, he had a job opportunity at, at a West Coast school rather than Michigan was probably more appealing to him. Certainly, I think that there might have been money involved, i.e. the Nike money at, at Oregon may have played a factor in this and their facilities. Um, and then, frankly, third and probably maybe the most important even was his son is a dual-threat quarterback, far more likely to be appealing to Oregon's offense than to what Michigan's offense looks like. Right. So uh, um, I think all of those things probably lend themselves. Uh, now, the young man, the boy, uh, his son, has not yet made a commitment to either Oregon or Michigan, you know, yet. So uh, we'll see. That'll have to play out. Ironically, his sister, um, uh, the, the, this coach's daughter, uh, uh, actually is an athlete at Nebraska on the track team. So um, even Nebraska has a chance at this kid. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got a little piece of him, huh? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So so anyway, it, but it's just one of those things where I it, it just irks me that, you know, the, the four-letter network, um, again, has another member of their team who is out there totally with blind spots, blinders on relative to the SEC and uh, – and, and specifically Alabama and the and the horrible direction that the that they have taken um, the 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 college athlete system, and they ignore that, but then they ride uh, uh, you know roughshod on something as unique as this one coaching situation, which is something that's been going on for. 60 years, 50, 60 years. Right. Well, you know, not that because it's been going on for 50 or 60 years, it makes it right or anything like that. No, right. But it's just been, it's, it's certainly more common. And, and of course you have a right to hire anybody you want. And if you think you're doing that, and one of the reasons is you, it increases your opportunity to, to get their son to play for you. There's nothing wrong with that because you're also risking some things with that too. Obviously you're paying this guy a salary. If he's not the best fit, and the best guy for the job that you had available, then you're hurting yourself, uh, all in exchange for one athlete. You know, usually that's not a good decision. Right, it's a risky move. Mm-hmm. To go for that. All right. Well, very good. I think that's a that's a good way to to close out this episode. A good old yeah. rant from Dad over there. <laughs> yes. Well, absolutely. We need to do that more often. I. I, I've got to make a segment out of that somehow. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sure we can make it on SEC rants alone. <laughs> yes, exactly. There we go. Exactly. Well, and that that actually be something as a teaser for the next episode is we'll know a lot more about um, uh, old Miss recruiting and, and the implications of that, the whole NCAA uh, uh, um, uh, sanctions that are coming to to them. 
um, because of their recruiting violations. And ironically, they're snubbing their nose at the NCAA probably cost them because now they have more um, accusations that they're dealing with and uh, and the exposure of the abuse of basically players being paid has broadened. And I think it's going to broaden beyond Old Miss to some other SEC schools because there's a reason why SEC or why Old Miss was doing it. And, and it's because it's rampant in that league. Yeah. And, I, and I, it's going to show up. I recall you sent a, a Facebook message, I believe, to myself, or it was an email to myself and uh, your brother, my uncle, a couple other yeah. people. And it was these pictures from these SCC players, like right. Twitters and Instagrams and stuff. And it was them with all these nice cars. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Crazy. Yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to uh, revisit that subject for sure. Yep. Well, like you say, that's a good teaser for next time. There you go. Absolutely. All right. (laughs) Well, if you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at uh, footballthrowdown at podomatic dot com. Footballthrowdown dot podomatic dot com. I should say. Um, You can also uh, email us at huskerpete thirteen at gmail dot com. You can leave us a comment on the. Uh, Podomatic website, or you can leave a comment on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are up, available up there. We always like hearing from our fans. Uh, so thank you out there for listening to this special 40th episode podcast. We'll have to there do something go. special for 50 when we get there. That's right. Uh, Absolutely. We can look forward to that. So uh, until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red.